today we are going to look at Psalm 23. Now I'm going to read the whole psalm, um, but as I studied, this is such a rich psalm, we're only going to make it through the first three verses, okay? But let's take a look at Psalm 23. Again, it is a psalm of David. And what did David do before he was king? He was a shepherd, right? So he is going to talk to God as shepherd, and he and we are the sheep of the Lord, okay? A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, what a, what a wonderful picture, that of a, a caring Bold, loving shepherd, tending a flock, and we are that flock. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and show us uh, your heart. Remind us of your care for us. I pray, Lord, especially for any who are hurting this morning, that this would be a refreshing, encouraging uh, psalm to build them up. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in this psalm, note who the characters are. The Lord is the shepherd, right? And David is a sheep. Okay, so we, we join in with the author. We are the sheep. Now, before you go, oh, how cute is that? I am not so sure that being equated with a sheep was supposed to be flattering. Okay? Um, I, I, you know, I hear people say things like, oh, they're clever as a fox. Right? Or uh, wise as an owl. I don't ever hear people say, they're as smart as a sheep. So I googled, are sheep dumb? And I think sheep lovers have pooled together and they've saturated uh, the internet. You know, that thing that goes up to Mars and back, right? The internet. With articles saying sheep are not dumb. If you, if you did, don't google it during the sermon. But... Um, I think the sheep lovers of, a, of the world have tried to combat the idea that sheep are dumb. In fact, here's a, uh, here's a, a sentence that appeared in several pro-sheep articles, okay? Um, 
where is it? It says, sheep have an IQ level similar to that of cows and slightly below that of pigs. I'm not so sure that proves the point. Right? There's, well, first of all, who came up with the IQ test for the sheep, the pigs, and the cows? Right? Here. You all get a number two pencil, and I mean, and sheep are just below an animal that spends its day wallowing in a mud puddle. That's, I guess that's, that's smart. Our, um, so there's a whole bunch of, of pro-sheep articles out there, but if you want to really know about sheep, Google video of sheep. And I just found one of these here. All right, so here's a shepherd and he's, the poor sheep has fallen in a crevice. He's going to get him. <laughs> I rest my case, all right? <laughs> Now, the point of the psalm is not how smart are sheep compared to other animals. I think the point of the psalm is sheep are far below the intelligence of the shepherd. Okay? So the shepherd is Jesus, right? He is our leader. He is our caretaker. And we would be wise to go, yeah, he's smarter than us. When do we get in trouble? When we think we're smarter than God. Okay? Now, um, so I, I, I won't, in case you are sheep lovers, I will not call sheep dumb. Okay? But I did come up with four other characteristics of sheep. They all begin with the letter D. Okay? First of all, they're defenseless. Okay, in a fight between a herd of sheep and one wolf, who's going to win? Yeah, the wolf. In fact, you know what the sheep's strategy is? Just stay in the huddle. That's it. Stay in the huddle. Imagine a football team. Here's our, here's our plan. Stay in the huddle the whole game. All right, so that's their plan. They are dependent. Okay, they need a human to take care of them or they will die. They are dirty with all that wool. They collect all kinds of bugs and briars and they get mud all over them. They are dirty. And probably the key characteristic is they're easily distracted. Right? Even Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Right? Oh, what's that over there? And you know, pretty soon they've fallen off a cliff. Okay? But here's the amazing thing. In spite of all these negatives, Scripture says that we have a shepherd who not only loves us, but dies for us. Jesus said, and by, by the way, when you're reading Psalm 23, it's Jesus, right? Because he says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the, I'm the shepherd in Psalm 23, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, right? 
I mean, I know we have animal lovers, but would you die? Some of you would for your dog or your, your cat, right? But would you die for a bunch of sheep? That's what Jesus did. Now, here's what I'm going to do. Um, well, he, he says this. Okay, I'm the sheep. He's the shepherd. I trust him so much that I shall not want. That means I, I, I have no needs. I trust him so much that my shepherd will take care of all of my needs. Now, what I'm going to do is cover three of the things our shepherd provides for the sheep. And that will only take us through two and a half verses, so we've got more to come next week. But um, the first thing our shepherd provides for us is rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Okay. Now, this, the second point is he gives us nourishment or refreshment if we want to have three R's. Okay. So the green pastures, yes, they feed the sheep, but right now there's the emphasis on the shepherd making the sheep lie down and sleep. And I'm told that sheep don't sleep unless it's peaceful. So he provides rest and peace. Okay. Now, of course, this psalm is an analogy of a physical picture of a shepherd giving rest to the sheep, but it's a picture of, of greater spiritual truth. The point is not trust in Jesus and you'll sleep well. The, the, the point is Jesus and only Jesus is the one who can give us true spiritual rest. In fact, there's a corresponding verse in the New Testament where Jesus says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, this is not a rest void of a yoke. Okay, there's a yoke involved, there's obedience involved. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There it is again. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what is he talking about? What kind of rest is Jesus talking about? Well, in the very next chapter in Matthew's Gospel, the Pharisees accused Jesus of doing miracles by the power of Satan. And you go, well, how did they come up with that? Well, because he didn't play by their legalistic rules. The Pharisees dumped legalism on the Jewish people. Now, some could care less, but those who were more spiritually sensitive walked around wondering, have I done enough? Have I kept the rules? Have I 
I done enough to please God, and they were under a yoke, a heavy yoke of legalism. It's exhausting to live by legalism. So Jesus is speaking to sheep, people, who are exhausted trying to perform and live up to this legalistic standard. And when I say legalism, here's what I mean. It's the idea that you have to earn God's favor or earn salvation through your works. Okay? Do you know the difference between true Christianity and every other world religion is this. Every other world religion is spelled D-O, do, do, do. True Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. He's done it. He gives you rest because he removes that yoke of I have to earn my way to God's approval. You know, um, I, I did a quick look at what other religions teach. Islam is based on the five pillars of Islam, the five practices, uh, which, which are simply this. First of all, there's the confession that Allah is the one true God and Muhammad is his, his prophet. Okay? And then there's uh, prayer, almsgiving, fasting, and part of one of the pillars is you have to make a, 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 a pilgrimage to a place called Mecca. Right? And you do these things, and if you're a good Muslim, I guess you make it. Right? Hinduism... You must purify yourself from evil to escape this endless cycle of reincarnation. I mean, imagine being born in the slums of Calcutta. And you say, well, I, I guess I earned this karma. I'll eke out this life and hopefully do a little bit better in the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one, okay? Buddhism, there's four noble truths all having to do with karma. Is You build up negative karma, but you can escape by living by the eightfold path, a right view, a right intent, right, right effort, right contemplation, right right speech, right concentration. Oh, oh how, do you, how do you know if you've done enough? Now, let's go a little bit closer to home. You could say, in one sense, that the Protestant Reformation was fought over one word, the word alone. Okay. In another sense, you could say the Protestant Reformation was a spiritual battle to release sheep from the agony of legalism. Okay. You know, to, to boil it down, and it's, and it's always dangerous to try to simplify things, but 
Protestantism would say this. This is the good news of the gospel. You are justified, and justified means declared right before God. You're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Okay? And, and to maybe tweak it a little bit, you are justified by grace alone, through a living faith alone, in Christ alone. And, and a living faith would be one that truly places your faith in Christ. And yes, there will be works that flow from that, but they are not the basis of your justification. Okay? Rome came back and said, that's wrong. You're justified by grace alone, through faith, but not faith alone, in Christ alone. It's your grace-empowered works that are part of, not the fruit of, but part of your justification. That little difference takes works out of the fruit category and puts it in the justification category. And now you better do your part. Because hell is on the line. Right? Now, any works-based religious system, even if it's just you do 1%, will produce two kinds of people. Either extremely anxious people or extremely arrogant people. The timid person says, I know I fall short. If anything's left to me, I'll go to hell. And the arrogant person says, well, of course I'm good enough. I got nothing to worry about. But both of them, the anxious and the arrogant person, have a common denominator. I'm accepted before God by my performance. In fact, you may, you may be here this morning, uh, probably all of us fall on either one side or the other. Arrogant or anxious. And you may say, I don't even have theology. I don't even know what you're talking about. But you do have a theology. You do have, in your mind, you have some kind of a view of God and how you are accepted before God. And maybe your lifelong anxiety or your lifelong arrogance, and if you say, I don't think I'm arrogant, just talk to your spouse, find out if you are, okay? The source of that anxiety or arrogance, I think, boils down to maybe your unconscious, your unspoken view of this whole thing. How am I going to do before God? And if you're basing it on your performance, of course you'll either be anxious or arrogant. Okay? Now, the solution is, sheep, quit looking at yourself and look at the shepherd. David's whole confidence is based on trusting the shepherd. Even for your acceptance, or I should say especially for your acceptance, before God. Right? In um, Philippians, Paul moves from being arrogant to being humble to being confident. 
goes, indeed, I count everything a loss, everything I used to trust in, my own arrogance, my own religious work, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. Okay, he's being humbled. He used to trust in his own good works and his religious effort. And now he goes, I count them as rubbish. So he's moved from arrogance to humility in order that I may gain Christ. But when I trusted in Christ, guess what I got? And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I trusted in Christ. I stopped trusting arrogantly in my works. I was humbled, and now I'm trusting in Christ, and now I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, anxious, and I'm not arrogant. I'm just trusting in His righteousness. He did it all. So I can be a content sheep. I have no needs. I can lay down and rest. Now, don't think that this means there's no yoke. Okay? In fact, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. It can't mean take my yoke to earn salvation. I've already done that for you. But there's still... A yoke. In fact, let me give you just one of the things Jesus expects of us. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You go, wait a minute. That sounds even harder than keeping the Sabbath rules. But he says, this is easy. Why? Because he paid the price for you. And you respond in your heart out of love, not legalism. Love is a far greater motivator than a list of rules. Okay? Jesus says, if you love me, even this, even this, will be an easy yoke. There's a story that Cyrus, the Persian emperor, captured a prince and his family. They came before him, and Cyrus said to the prisoner, What will you give me if I release you? Half my wealth. And if I release your children, everything I possess. And if I release your wife... Your majesty, I will give you myself. Cyrus was so moved by his devotion, he freed them all. As they returned home, the prince said to his wife, Wasn't Cyrus a handsome man? With a look of deep love for her husband, she said, I didn't notice. I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give himself for me. He gives you rest. He gave himself for you. You can rest easy. And now the sheep goes, I'd go anywhere to follow him. Let me go to the second one. He gives you nourishment. So he 
first of all, it brings you to green pastures to, to rest, but you also eat there, okay? And he leads me beside still waters. Why still waters? Well, if sheep go to a rushing river and they lean over to drink and they fall in, their wool gets uh, wet and they can't get out and they will drown. So the shepherd takes them to still waters. But the point is, with the green grass and the water, he is giving them nourishment. Okay? Now, again, this is a physical picture pointing to a greater spiritual reality. How does the Lord nourish us? And I think you know the answer. Through his word. Many places in Scripture, the Bible is called food. It's nourishment. You live by eating it, by taking it in. Let me give you um, an example. In Matthew 4, Jesus has been baptized. Right? And right before he steps into ministry, God tells him, I want you to go into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and fast. Right? And at the end of that time, it says, and the tempter, Satan, came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, the if you are the Son of God, that's not saying, I doubt that you're the Son of God. What it's saying is, the Son of God, which you are, shouldn't be out here starving. You have every right to relieve your suffering, and you have power. Turn the, turn the stones to bread. Now, Jesus, in essence, thinks this. Israel was in the desert for 40 years, and they didn't do well. They grumbled a lot over food and water. Jesus is saying, satisfying my need for physical food is not as important as me trusting and obeying God. My food is to take his words and live by those words. So he answered, verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I am going to place the nourishment of the word and, and following the, the word on a higher plane than even satisfying my hunger. Now, Satan goes, oh, okay, so you want to play the let's quote scripture game. Satan knows scripture. So he comes back and it says, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. How they got up there, I don't know. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, okay, again, since you're the son of God in essence, throw yourself down for it is written. And now Satan says, look, I've got the book of Psalms here. Psalm 91, I'm going to quote you a scripture since you like scripture so much. Psalm 91 says, he, God, will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot 
against a stone. Here's a, here's a promise right in Scripture that the angels will protect you. And this is written for all of God's people, but if you're the Son of God, certainly this applies to you. And like Van Halen, he said, go ahead and jump. Right? And Jesus says, now wait a minute. I know that, that psalm, that Psalm 91. I, in fact, I, lo- I love that Psalm 91. Okay. But Jesus is thinking, I've had Pastor Brian's hermeneutics class. And one of the rules of interpretation is you should compare Scripture with other Scripture to see if the other Scripture can kind of qualify the Scripture you're reading. And Psalm 91 promises amazing divine protection, but is there another Scripture that might help put this in a bigger context? In verse 7, Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, and he's going to quote from Deuteronomy, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So we've got two principles. God will protect me, and I am not to force God's hand and do stupid things like jumping off the church building. Okay, in case any of you were planning on, on that. So then, and, and, and by the way, a little lesson here. Um, there are so many people who watch Christian preachers on TV or get Christian books, and they go, must be safe because they're quoting verses right here. Satan can quote verses. Where, where we need to be is we need to know Scripture well enough that we can say, wait a minute. That seems a bit out of context. What about this verse over here? Okay, and I, I don't, I don't want to lay a burden on us where um, we go, oh, I, I need to be a full-time Bible. No, just always be reading Scripture in context and always asking, how does this verse Fit with this verse and do your best to fit them together. Okay? But some of us, yeah, we, we, we're wasting time. We need to be in the Word. So, so this just becomes second nature. Okay? But just because a preacher quotes Scripture, just because a book quotes Scripture, doesn't mean it's being applied properly. Okay? Now, one last temptation again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and he said to him all these i will give you if you will fall down and worship me just bow the knee and this becomes yours all right now um when are we most vulnerable to crazy thinking? Isn't it when you're in pain? 
when you're tired, when you're hungry, and, and you do stupid things. You make bad decisions. You, you, you do things that you think are quick fixes. Forty days without eating, all i got to do is bow my knee. And isn't the goal after, uh, after everything anyways that I become the King of kings and Lord of lords? Let's just get this over with. But no, Jesus comes back. He goes, you know, I've been studying those Ten Commandments. And the first two say there's only one true God and you're not to bow down to anything else. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Okay? Now, remember, this point is that God provides for us. He gives us rest. He gives us nourishment. He gives us grass and still water. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to turn the sermon into a now... Here, you go, you need to do all this stuff because that's violating the whole point that he is the one who's providing this stuff. But I do have to say this. You can lead a sheep to water, but you can't make them drink. You got to drink. You got to drink. You, you, you got you to you make the word of God the center have it preached at you. Rearrange your schedule so this is the most important. And, and I, my promise is, if you show up, I'm going to feed you. Okay? Make church a priority. Make reading it a priority. Study it. He gives you the food. It's his gift to you. Sheep. Okay? Try it. It's not that bad. Okay. All right, one last thing, and, and this will be, be quick, all right? Restoration. He restores my soul. So there's a, the, a thing when a sheep, um, a sheep can get turned over, and, and it can happen different ways. It can fall over, but a lot of times when they lay down and sleep, they get on their side. Instead of rolling over to their feet, they roll on their back, and once they're on their back, it's called being cast, an upside-down sheep is a cast sheep, and they can't get up. Their little legs are going. And then I read one guy, he said, well, if they're that way too long, the gases will build up, and apparently you've got exploding sheep. Right? So the shepherd is always counting, and he's like, oh, there's one missing. Where? I better go look for him. Oh, upside down sheep. And to turn him over, that's what it means to restore the sheep. Okay? Now, I know on any given Sunday, there are sheep who need to be restored because it's a rough world out there, and our thinking can get messed up, okay? So let me, let me end with, with five, five restorations. First of all, there are those of you who are saying, I am too bad to even be here. I'm too bad to be here, okay? You're too bad? Do you know 
that the three heroes, other than Jesus, the three heroes of the Bible, Moses, David, and Paul, were all murderers. Okay? You're not too bad. In fact, one of the qualifications to be a Christian is you have to realize you're too bad to be a Christian. You're too bad for God. And that's why you go to the shepherd. So, some of you, you need to be turned over. Yeah, sinners are welcome. Sin- this is where sinners come to be forgiven. And not not to, church, to Jesus. Okay? Second restoration are those who say, I'm too good for Jesus. I don't need this. I, I'm good. Really? Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector? Pharisee goes into the temple and he goes, Hey, God, I'm glad. You, you're probably glad I'm here, right? I just want to present my goodness to you. I am not like other men, not like murderers and thieves and like this tax collector. And I, I fast a lot. I give a lot. And then the tax collector, he can't even look up. He's the one who says, I'm too bad. But he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says it was him, the sinner, who went home justified, not the self-righteous person. Some of you need to come and you need to get turned over because you're too good. You think you're too good and you need to be straightened out that we're all too bad. Okay? Then there's, I'm too busy. I'm just too busy. I've got school coming up. Here's Jesus' word to you. Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. Really, only one is needed. In other words, how about you take some of those items off of your menu? You're in the kitchen there and you're making 12 courses. And you know what? Just hot dogs would be good. Okay? Other sheep are turned over. They're just stressed out. And Jesus says to the stressed out, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. You notice the flowers this time of year? Beautiful flowers. Right? They don't labor and spin, but God clothes them. He feeds the birds. Aren't you worth much more than birds and flowers? And then finally... I'm too distracted. Okay? You're like that sheep wandering. You know, I, how, how many of you are dying to look at your phones right now? <laughs> Some of you are like, you've been on your phones the whole time, right? Oh, you're taking notes. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> What's more important than hearing from the Lord? Only one life, soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Don't let the trivial replace the eternal. All right, let's pray.
Lord, you are such a good shepherd. And thank you, Lord, for, in spite of our sheepishness, leading us, loving us, feeding us, providing for us, turning us over when we've fallen. Um, Lord, we admit we need you every day, every moment. And thank you that we can flee to you. Thank you for being our shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.